This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We're very excited that we're getting to do another podcast here, me and my we daughter. We are. I, I have more energy this week. Feeling <laughs> a little great. better. I, I, if I go up and down. In, if you're just jumping in, Danielle is dealing with long COVID now, about eight months into it, something like that. It's seven, just, seven months, but seven who's counting? Months. Right, right. <sighs> so, so there are good count weeks your and, and bad weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it's always, you just got to remember gratitude. Um, this is for everybody that does not have long COVID. <laughs> Be very grateful uh, that you don't. It's nuts. It's so tough. But um, that's not what we're here to talk about. Just wanted nope. to say that real quickly. Yeah. And uh, we're here to discuss investing. Warren Buffett style, we think, as best we can tell from uh, not being inside his brain, from <laughs> everything he's taught us over these many years, 60 years of investing, and he and Charlie Munger, and all of the writing they've done, and all the books that have been written about them, and all of the stuff written around Ben Graham, and we have we thought we would talk about this for a few weeks and, and wouldn't have anything to say, and we've been at it for five years, so. Pretty good. We, Referring back to when Charlie Munger said there's really nothing to talk about during the semester because all you have to do is just understand the business, know that it has a durable competitive advantage, you got good, talented, and management with integrity, and buy it at a fair price and you're in business. And that's it. Except that each one of these things requires an enormous amount of peeling back the onion mm. um, in order to really get it what what these guys are really talking about. And I've been peeling back that onion for 40 years, and I just keep running on to new things that mm -hmm. I didn't fully understand before and that my teachers didn't really understand before or that anybody else hasn't written about at all. And those kind of things are out there still to this day. I mean, we were What's just talking about one Tell me something that you recently ran into where you were like, huh, that's a new one. The 1962 letter was just sort of mind-boggling. We talked about that a little bit last time, and mm -hmm. that, that it was really clear that Buffett was buying companies so cheap that when he sold them, he was selling them at the price that I want to buy them at today. So that was kind of like, I've never really quite put that together in my mind, right? Well, that's what's so interesting, that I've read that letter, and I did not have that takeaway. I didn't, I didn't even... It was completely, I, it's over my head, 100%. No clue it was in there. I didn't even notice it. And I think that's normal. Like, you've read that letter okay. before, didn't nope. notice it. Nope. And it just reminds me so much of so many situations in life where you're practicing something and all of a sudden, this new discovery shows up out of something that you've seen or done or heard over and over and over and over. And that discovery had not yet appeared in any of those instances. And it's really an amazing moment when that happens. I love yeah, it. Yeah, because it's not really incremental. It's not this little thing you missed, and then you see it, and then you have a little benefit. It's True. just, it can be 
like an exponential change in what you understand about True. investing. True. And that's so interesting. Another letter I, I think I had mentioned not too long ago in a podcast, it was the the early 80s letter where he um, he basically said, I don't really care. I don't care whether I'm trading a bunch of companies um, based on them being acquired by someone else. I'm mm -hmm. fine with that. I'll put all our money in that. Or bonds. I'll put it all in bonds. Or what he would call generals, just stocks that we want to buy and hold long term. He was ambivalent about which way to go, whereas in everything else I've read and, and talked about and studied, you know, it's like 80% of the portfolio or 70% of the portfolio is in these long-term businesses. But there can be a time when you just can't find them. And you don't want to be in a situation where you become frustrated by the lack of opportunity. Yeah, Number one. And I think num many of us are in that situation. Number oh, one. Yeah. Number one. Number two, you don't want to be in a situation where your portfolio is deteriorating because cash is deteriorating. That is, they're they're destroying cash ah, at, at yeah, the yeah. tune of three or four or five. In other words, in in the United States and in Europe, I think they're they're sort of equally bad. Cash goes down in value at the tune of an average of three percent a year, and has done so since 1935. But it's not linear. It means there's great big there's times when it's not going down much at all, and then there are times you know maybe ten years where it's sort of staggering along and holding its value, and then there are times when it's deteriorating extremely quickly. And we are in that time now when cash is deteriorating at a at a rapid pace as governments are printing money to, to print themselves out of this COVID pandemic and the shutdowns that we've had around the world, governments are literally printing cash and, and helicoptering it out to the people. They're sending it out there. Well, um, we talked a bunch last time about the doomsday scenario and you ended saying that you had some additional thoughts or additional uh, ways to handle the situation beyond just our, not just, I mean, I think our normal investing practice is quite enough, but let's say on top of that. So let's close the loop on that. What were you referring to? Well, I think when you, when you, there are, there are some really smart people out there, way smarter than me, who, um, like, for example, Ray Dalio and Warren Buffett for, for two, Charlie Munger for three, that I really do pay attention to. And mm -hmm. all three of them are very leery of buying um, stocks in America and Europe right now um, because of the enormous prices that have been put on them. Um, by the way, not everybody thinks that. So don't don't feel like that. I'm, I'm giving you some sort of, um, you know, biblical reference here just because some really smart guys think that we should be waiting patiently right now. There are other very smart guys like Howard Marks that we haven't talked about much here who is a, a really brilliant guy. Really, yeah, really true, yeah. And he writes really good letters he about how to invest properly. He writes great letters that you can find online. Yep, it's M-A-R-K-S uh, at Oakmark, I think Oak is Tree. the name of his. Oak Tree. Oak Tree is his company. Um, and his, his expertise, though, is not the same as Buffett's. Um, he is very similar kind of investor in the sense that he's looking for bargains, but he looks for them in corporate bonds. That's his great, great expertise area. And he's probably chomping at the bit right now 
at the opportunities in corporate bonds. When, when federal governments are stepping in to buy corporate bonds to support that market's valuation, a guy like uh, Howard Marks is just waiting for the opportunity that's about to come to him, which is to buy really the bonds of really good companies that have been completely um, shot, you know, t torn down by some recent experience. And, and then he can buy them up and just wait and the bond will double his money in a period of two or three years. He's done that repeatedly in his career. Yeah, and maybe that's another way that investors thinking like us, like Buffett, can put our money to work, not necessarily by holding a share of stock, but you could hold a bond of a, of a company that you think is a great company and a good, reliable investment. No? You could. You could. But here's the here's the, the catch about bonds. And you have to be very aware. When we talk about bonds, it's like Alice in Wonderland. It's like upside down world. When we say bonds are going down, what we really mean is interest rates are going up. <laughs> and sometimes it's hard to remember, right? Because it whether a bond is going down or up depends on which side of the table you're on, right? Yeah. If you want a higher interest rate, you're like, yay, hey, interest rates are going up. Yay. But for the holder of the bond, that already exists with an interest rate of, let's say, 0.6% for the next 10 years, or in Germany, uh, minus 0.01% for the next 10 years, that person is watching their asset deteriorate if they have to sell it. So the only sure. way you don't lose really big money on bonds when interest rates are going up is you hold them to the end and just suffer through a very low rate of return in a market that's got a much higher rate of return available to you. You have to just wait. Otherwise, you just get hammered on the dollars. For example, if you were to um, take a U.S. 10-year Treasury note um, a year ago, you would be paid, let's say you put $100,000 into it because you wanted something safe and secure. And in one sense, a U.S. Treasury note is very safe you are going to get paid, even if we have to print the money to do it. But in one sense, it's insecure in that the money we're printing is devaluing the currency that you're going to get paid in, right? But let's say you did it. And that means that you will get, did I just, did that, you're puzzled? No, 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 that, that's right. I, it just, we jumped from corporate bonds to U.S. government bonds. I know, because U.S. government bonds are considered to be the risk-free rate. Yeah. That's what's known as risk-free. So you're going to get paid 0.5% a year on $100,000, which is $500. Okay? So you, <laughs> yeah. put your, you put your 100 grand in, and a year ago, you and people I mean, did this. It's better than zero. Better than zero. You get $500 a year. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, a year later, um, not even a year later, the Federal Reserve has, in a way, lost control of controlling interest rates. And the 10-year T-bill did something they did not predict. Three months ago, the Federal Reserve was predicting the 10-year T-bill would be at about 0.6% right now. And it's at 1.6% right now. Hmm. So it's 300% higher than they predicted it would be. That's a pretty big miss. Okay, so if you were in that situation of someone who just a few months ago put 100 grand into a US treasury note and now you're getting $500 a year for it and you're stuck in it for 10 years unless you want to sell it and today that same 10 year T bill if you bought it today would pay you $1600 a year now you want to sell your treasury note you want to get out of it and get the new interest rate mm -hmm. you're not going to get $100,000 back 
I mean, there's some sort of formula you figure out about duration and all this stuff that I, I would have to refer to because I don't do a lot of bonds. But effectively, you're not going to get back $100,000. you are not going to get back even close to $100,000 because of the difference of that $500 a year versus $1,600 a year. So they're going to discount your treasury note pretty substantially. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure what it would be. They might give you 80000 or 60000 I don't know how, how far down it is, but it's a big drop. That is a, that's a huge drop. You I really mean, think, think it's it. that much? Well, just it, without considering the duration of the bond, you, you, you're going from six, $500 a year to $1,600 a year. So your bond says, give me $100,000 and I'll give you 500 bucks a year. Yeah. Well, the new bond says, give me $100,000, I'll give you $1,600 a year. So yeah. what literally could happen, it won't literally happen like this, but your bond really will produce $1,600 a year if I buy it for $3,300, right? I mean, $33,000. Oh. I mean, yeah, it'll produce yeah. $1,600 a year if you buy it for 500 bucks. No. Yeah. It's the same in, in bond. Other words, no, wait. I'm going to buy it from this other person that's getting $500 a year. But I want $1,600 a year. So how much will I pay for that bond? I mean, it's not literally this way, right. but it's close. I'll pay forty grand. The one you just put $100,000 into a year ago. Yeah. I get it. I will it. now buy for $40,000 because interest rates are 1.6%. Yeah. And at 1.6%, I should, in other words... That $500 has to be tripled somehow. And the only way to triple it is to cut down what I pay for it right. by two-thirds. Yeah. Now, it doesn't literally happen it that horrible. The point is you won't. It, it'll be less than the 100000 The point is people don't realize if you have to sell that bond, you can get crushed. Right? So um, let's go back to corporate bonds. Now, what's going on with corporate bonds is the similar kind of thing, except that those are not considered risk-free mm -hmm. because while the federal government isn't going to default on its bonds because it has a printing press, a corporation does not have a printing press and it could very easily default on its bonds. And I'm actually looking at hundreds and hundreds of corporations which got into business, went public, got a bunch of public money and whatever their dream was, you know, their pet rock, they, they it took off for a while and then they couldn't come up with pet rock too. They just couldn't. And Pet Rock 1 is toast. And now their revenue is dropping. Their earnings are dropping. So they run out real quick before, you know, things get too crazy because they know they're going to have a success with Pet Rock 2. They go to the bank based on what they've got in the can for cash, and the bank gives them a loan. Mm -hmm. All right. Now they got a loan. This is a junk bond loan. This is what they call it. It's a junk bond. It's, it's, it's junk because... In order for that company to get that loan, they, they've got to pay an interest rate that's like 8%. Because it's 10%. so high risk, because it's a company that may not right. continue to be a going concern very near in the future. Well, yeah. no. Actually, nobody would lend them anything if they thought they wouldn't be a no, going concern No, not if they thought. The I said that it may be. It may be, but yeah. it would be very vaguely may. It would be like the corporate management team nobody would be Nobody thought like, Pets.com was going to go belly up right when it did, but it did, you know? <laughs> I know. So the, the banks, the bankers have to be convinced you don't need the money and you're fine. Okay. So they, the corporate management teams are great salespeople. That's why they're at the top of their game, most of them. And they will convince this bank that everything's good. We got Pet Rock 2 coming out. 
And the bank lends them the money at 8%, 10%, because the bank is in an interest rate environment of 1%, and it would love to get that kind of profits going on its books. So they, they, they push it a little bit. Some loan officer says, sure, we'll do this. All right, now we go down the road two years. Here we are. Interest rates are starting to go up, and we need to refinance this company, and we can't, because now we go into the bank. Pet Rock 2 has failed. Our revenues are dropping precipitously every year. Earnings are no longer exist. We're now negative earnings, um, and we're losing money hand over fist. We've got $47 million left, and as I said last time, management's going to keep playing the game, right? Right. They're going to run it right down to zero. Yes. Okay, so as we discussed, the Federal Reserve is coming in and buying up these ETFs, right? We, we talked about that. We did, yeah. So they're buying up these bond ETFs in order to support these thinly traded bonds. Now, at the same time, I just said Howard Marks makes a fortune playing in this game. So how would you do that? If you wanted to go use this kind of a marketplace where bond prices are likely, bond interest rates are going up, bond values are going down, it almost looks like a one-way street, and how would you, how would you profit? Hang on, I think, I'm, let me just check something here. Yeah, I guess we're still still going along, okay. Um, Mine's how still would going. You, Is yours still going? Yeah, still going. Okay. Okay, so just checking. So, so you're in the bond. Okay, so let me just sort of start. So you're in the bond world, and you're looking for companies that uh, are the kind of companies that are not going to go out of business, I would imagine. But are the kind of companies that are issuing, that are needing money, are needing to borrow money. So there's kind of that like middle ground of companies. Not, not quite. You're close though. You want companies that are not going to go out of business. They're already borrowed the money. They borrowed it. And now because of something going on in their industry, you know how much we've talked about events, right? There's yeah. an event. Okay. So there's some kind of event going on that jeopardizes the future of this company. So their, their bond rating is going down for some reason. Um, I'll give you an example. A couple of, a few years ago, a company called CF Industries was building a new plant on the Mississippi River to produce fertilizer. And CF is almost a toll bridge. I mean, they're a fantastic company. They have a huge price moat on nitrogen fertilizer. Biggest company in the country. And the best price. So they've got a great moat. They're a great long-term business. But they borrowed a huge amount of money to build their new plant. And then, um, and they did it when corn prices and soybean prices were completely high, really, really high. And farmers were planting all the way to the hedgerows. Every single acre they could get a, you know, get corn into, they were planting it. And so the demand on fertilizer was huge. And these guys, so they, you know, they could go to the bank and they could go, hey, look, what's going on? We're making money hand over fist here. This is a great time for us to build a nitrogen fertilizer plant. And they got borrowed the money to go do it. It was about a four or five year project. And by the time they got to about year three of building this plant, nitrogen fertilizer prices had collapsed because corn prices had collapsed. Because, and it just, the whole thing went down like crazy. Hmm. Okay? And then all of a sudden... These guys, their their earnings are just really low. They've got this big debt, 
And the rating agencies, Moody's, Fitch, these guys who look at the bonds and the, the quality of the company behind that com the bond, lowered their bond rating and said basically to the whole world, these guys have now become a real risk. And this bond has gone from investment grade to junk grade. Mm -hmm. Ooh. And so now at that time, it didn't collapse the bond, but it, if, if this happened right now, it, given what interest rates are doing, they're starting to climb and they're not dropping. You know, three or four years ago, they were dropping. Mm -hmm. Now they're starting to climb and mm -hmm. you add that in, oh, you just went to junk bond status and interest rates are climbing. It could very well be impossible for this company to refinance if, if that bond came up for, you know, if it came to the end of its life and you have to continue building your plant, which is useless to you unless you finish it and you have to get the money to do it, <clears throat> you could be in real trouble and you're, or that would appear to be that you're in real trouble. And so people who own these bonds are in a very illiquid market and they're like, I am out of here. I'm so out of here. I'm going to, I'm going to take a loss on the bond, right? Done. I'm out. It's just like you would take a loss on that hundred thousand dollars by having to sell it right now, except way worse because it's not a treasury note, which is very liquid. You can sell it any time, any day. A corporate bond, one that just has its its investment grade rating reduced to a junk bond, who's going to buy that? This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And the answer is Howard Marks will buy that if he believes the company will go right on through and do and be successful. So he's looking for these opportunities where the company's not going to fail. The bond price has collapsed and he can go in there and buy that thing. Let's say the, let's call the total value of the bond and, and interest rate and everything else. Let's call it a 100. And Marks can go in and buy these things at 30 or 40. Hmm. And there's your margin of safety. Think about it because when the company's successful, it pays off the bond goes back up to full value, they just doubled their money on yeah, the bond. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. it's really the same, what you're talking about. I thought you were talking about sort of general bond investing, bond purchasing. But it sounds no. to me like what you're actually talking about is really the mirror image of our style of stock investing. It is. And it, so it you're is waiting something... for a company that that is going to continue, which is the part that requires the decision making, obviously. Yep. But that is it, having... Do you understand it? Is it durable? Is yeah. there good management, right? Yeah. The, the three critical things. And but is, is having a serious at problem at the moment that you yeah. can see how it will get out of. Yep. And at that and, time you can... I mean, it's... But I mean, their stock is going to be the same, right? Their stock's going to crater... So it's just, what, so different strokes for different folks? Um, yes and no. I mean, no, it's not so much different strokes for different folks. It's different strokes for the same folks. And that was the point of Buffett's letter in the early 80s is that oh, he was doing that. Around to the full circle. Mm -hmm. I love it. So he was doing that and very ambivalent in the early 80s about whether he would prefer to own the company or the bond. Yeah. Well, to me... Like, obviously, he shifted towards stocks. 
since then. And to me, the big difference is that bonds have a fixed amount of time period and stocks don't. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. And that's a really, really, really big difference. It's a huge you're, difference. You're betting on how long it's going to take them to climb out of that hole. Right, right. On what's going to happen in the greater economy. Like there's so many variables and um, it's often, as we've seen many times, really, really hard to predict the amount of time it's going to take for something to happen. And we've talked about that with short selling excessively. We've excessively talked about, about that. So short there's selling, something that, that, that you, you have, have to, to guess that something's going to happen in a certain amount of time. But that's the beauty of this bond thing. And that, that's what we, we still have to cover. And that is that, do you know, um, when you, let's, let's talk about it from, in terminology we already use. So we would like to, put a price on a company, we'd like to put a 10 cap price on it, right? Mm -hmm. And a 10 cap price essentially means that I'm buying this business where the owner earnings that come into my pocket represent 10% per year or better. Yes. Okay, so just like we would go buy a house across the street, deduct the expenses of renting the house to somebody, uh, whatever we have to pay from our side, including taxes and insurance, right? And if anyone and then, who's listening wants more details... You can go straight to our book, Invest It. <laughs> How about that about for this. our plug? We write about this heavily. There's a whole chapter on it. Yep. There are two chapters on it, I think. <laughs> so this is a really good anchor point for you guys to understand this, this thing I'm going to tell you about bonds, is that the reason that we like this 10-cap price um, for, let's say, a house we're renting across the street. So you're literally getting... you you you. Uh, bought the house for um, $100,000 and you're getting $10,000 a year net after you're paying property taxes and insurance and so on. You're getting mm -hmm. $10,000, okay? Mm -hmm. Pre-tax, pre your own income tax, but you're getting 10%. Okay, the reason that we love that kind of a buy price, the reason that signals a good price to buy that stock is because on that family home across the street, we don't, we're not really that deeply concerned about whether it's going to be worth more in the future, what mm -hmm. we're really looking at is that 10%. That's fabulous. We're getting $10,000 a year. And by the way, we can probably increase the rent on an average of, you know, the rate of inflation, 2 or 3% a year. And so we know that as the rent goes up, the values of this thing is going to go up over time, right? But forget about the value of it over time. We're going to hold it forever right? That'd be the wonderful time to hold it is forever and just get this rent. We're happy to take the rent yeah. at 10% and growing to 20% someday and 30% someday down the road. Okay. That is what distinguishes bonds from the equity is that with the bond, you're actually getting the money. So this corporation is paying ah, out the money. Got it. Good point. Very good okay. point. So now remember that you Explain that a little bit. Okay, so when I when I buy this corporate bond, I am getting an interest rate on that corporate bond of let's say 10%, right? CF mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. having 10% loans. All right, so now I'm I'm getting 10%. I put up 100 grand into this bond. I buy a let's say a, a piece of this big issue that went out there. Yeah. And I get 10 I put up my 100000 I get $10,000 a year on this corporate bond, okay? Now. And I think we talk a lot about getting returns and 
all sorts of, you know, oh, per year, this, da, 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 when it's not actual money that lands in your account. It's theoretical and money. And this, right, we always talk about it like it's real, but it's mostly yeah. theoretical unless it's dividends. This, this is, is not theoretical. This is not theoretical. They actually pay this, assuming they're staying on top of it, right? Yeah. And we're assuming we're Howard Marks and we're not going to do one where it's a bad idea. So, all right. <laughs> so the bond nominal return is 10% per year or $10,000 a year on our hundred grand. But these guys have run into an event and the market for this bond is relatively illiquid and the people who are selling it are getting out, period, and I can buy that for fifty grand. Yeah, and now what to happens? counter to counter my previous point of the time period is fixed. You can always sell it later. I can always sell conceivably later. before the time period. If you don't want to sure. wait the whole time period, conceivably the company would get itself into a better economic situation, and the uh, price you could get would go up. That's right. But given the fact that it's kind of illiquid, just like your house across the street. I'm not going to buy these with an eye for like flipping them. I mean, these are bonds that are going to last three or four years, whatever. They're not they're not forever, right? They, they're relatively corporate bonds are relatively short lived in nature, maybe five years, maybe sometimes you'll see ten. But look at what I just did. I've got a hundred thousand to invest. All right, the bond is paying ten thousand dollars for every hundred grand on its surface, but now it's for sale for fifty thousand, so I can buy two of them. Each one paying ten thousand. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that it's a lot riskier choice. Yeah, but just look so at the numbers just, for a second. I got. I say just that. started making twenty percent per year. Twenty percent per year, and my risk is the same as if I own the company, right? I mean, if it's not right. going to succeed, I'm going to go to zero on the equity, right? And actually, if it goes to zero on the equity, my bond is putting me in a better position in bankruptcy yeah, court absolutely. than owning equity. My mm -hmm. equity is going to be wiped out, but I'm going to get paid something on my bond probably mm -hmm. or get new equity in the new company. It won't go to zero. Very un uh, well, Sometimes it, it will, but... It could, yeah. You know. But you're, yeah, you're debt holders are paid before equity holders, unfortunately. Right on. But, but there's layers of debt holders too. Some are secured, some are and Correct. so on. So this is there will usually bond. be many layers of debt holders <laughs> right. in a situation like this. And the bonds that we're, we're typically are playing with are unsecured bonds. Um, and so these they, there's risk there. But if you're Howard Marks, you are now making 20% a year on your hundred grand. That's just gigantic to be getting that year after year after year after year after year. You don't want that bond to go away. Just leave it there. So then my question, we can go back to my original question of, it seems like different, stroke for, different strokes for different folks. No? No, because if you're sophisticated enough where you can, you can buy these things, and typically the problem for small investors is you can't buy them. They're, you need Howard Marks size money or Warren Buffett size money and because mm -hmm. the brokers, it's a very illiquid market and the brokers don't want to deal with you for the little tiny bit of money. Um, they will so be happy to So if we're talking about like you. smaller companies or because, you know, larger ones you certainly can buy as a retail yeah, investor. But it, it, yeah, but in general, it's much less liquid market. It requires much more understanding that you're going to be in a very wide spread between the bid and the ask on yeah. this bond. 
from the brokers who are going to just make a fortune on you if you don't know what you're doing. So we're not on this podcast. We're not really talking about how to do that. Just that it happens out there with great investors like a Buffett, who well, was definitely doing this in the early 80s. Hmm. And, and he hadn't been doing it in the 70s, started doing it in the 80s. And now he doesn't do it much anymore. So I mean, what I love about reading Howard Marks's writing, and he's written a lot. He's written books. You can find his letters online. It's fantastic. He doesn't, I mean, he buys stocks as well. I would, oh, yeah. I would even say as well is not the right <laughs> word to put in there. He, he is a f- tremendous stock buyer. Um, and certainly he has both strategies and both are very important to what he does. So, Oh yeah. Um, hundred percent. Right. I, why, what's your theory quickly, or maybe we can talk about it a little more next time. What's your theory on why Buffett, stopped buying bonds so much um because warren and you and i and charlie and everybody else who invests like the way we're teaching you is agnostic about what kind of an asset it is you're buying investing is buying something that has a a high value for half of what that value is let's just say investing is buying something with a value of ten dollars and you buy it for five dollars why would you care whether it's a house or a farm yeah. or an office building or But you a, still got to make a choice. Well, you just look where the deals are. You fish where the so fish are. So you're saying you don't think that he found deals at a certain I think point. the deals went away. Hmm. I think the deals went away. Hmm. I think as interest rates started coming down faster and faster, the bonds were getting more and more valuable, but there came an end to it, right? I mean, at some point, it's no longer a good deal. At some point, everybody recognizes that uh, money's available, money's widely available. You can always get refinanced. You know, your, your mm-hmm. company isn't going to go bad. And, you know, it's a rare, it's a rare, much rarer occurrence than it was in the early eighties. Um, yeah. just like buying a farmland and, you know, Warren bought a farm in the early eighties in Nebraska. I mean, you can't do that right now. He bought that thing from a bank that had been the bank had been foreclosed on <laughs> the bank foreclosed on the farm. And then the bank got foreclosed on and the government owned the farm. Oh, and, I shouldn't and said, laugh. That's terrible. But that's exactly when he wants to be a farm buyer. Yeah. And then you go into the mid-90s and um, all these uh, um, home so the sort of real estate lenders started going bankrupt. And right. So first the, the, the borrower can't pay the note. Now the, the bank can't pay can't can't stay with its proper ratios and they get shut down the government takes over and now all of a sudden new york real estate is for sale we may see that relatively soon actually we don't know we'll see what happens with real estate in new york but Mm. in general if you can't get refinanced because the banks don't have the money anymore which is what happened in the mid 90s or rather late 80s and then rolled into the 90s then that property could be very difficult to sell Mm-hmm. You might have a $100 million property there and nobody's got a loan for it. So mm-hmm. you got to have $100 million cash. You better be from Saudi Arabia or something. Mm-hmm. And so in the in the mid-90s, Buffett bought a, a nice building off of Union Square mm-hmm. just right there. So where you were living. Mm-hmm. So that um, what I'm saying is a rule one investor, when you get better and better at it, has more and more opportunities. And you can sort of go from one asset group to another it's not it's not really any different than going down to a flea market and or a garage sale and there as you gain more and more skill there will be more and more opportunities for you 
in different asset groups. You start off being really good at buying, um, you know, whatever, you know, musical instruments. And then you get good at mint coats because you see those are available now. So you study them and right on. I see you cringe. We have one of our students does that. She is like an expert at minks. And people are emotionally um, connect. People are emotional about those mink coats and they get rid of them in garage sales. Here, take it for $100. I don't want it anymore. I can't wear it. I, my friends would scoff at me and throw red paint. So yeah. this there's a market there on eBay for oh. people who would like to own a $15,000 fur coat for $1,000. Okay, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Okay, but you can see the the <laughs> yes, the, the it bothers thing. me a lot. It's like you, so you go to a flea market and you're really good at one thing. Doesn't preclude you from noticing that there are bargains over here in another thing if you just understand the business well enough. Mm-hmm. Which is, of course, always for all of you out there listening. We all to this, choose our own ethical choices. Don't yeah, 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 100%. Put the money where your values are. I mean, good Lord, if you think, you know, harvesting minks in a mink farm is a bad idea, you shouldn't be wearing a mink coat, right? That'd be hypocritical. Correct. So that that's, we've talked about that forever, and I think that's so important. I really do. But I'm intrigued by this new addition to our pantheon of non-stock investments. Well, I'm really so, haven't really encouraged everybody to go run out there and do it because it's very sophisticated. It's way down the road in sophistication from buying yeah, stock. Yeah, I think that's super important. Circle of yeah. competence is not just subject matter; it's also a vehicle but, of investment. And we get asked all the time, you know, what should I do now, right? With the stock market at a like the S and P 500 in America is at a 34 PE, which is more than double what its historical average is. And um, has not got a really great track record of being at this level and having everything be hunky-dory for the next few years. So we don't know what's going to happen with governments printing money. Um, we've never seen this before in modern history. We've certainly seen it with the Romans and the Greeks and everybody else got around to printing money and debasing their currency until they collapsed. So we're on the way toward that result. And we just don't know if we're going to get there or we're going to find some kind of soft landing from this chaos or, or what. But the point of today's podcast is that there are alternatives out there that start to occur that may be assets that you've never looked at before, never thought about before. And the really good investors, the people who are super smart, brilliant geniuses, manage to move between asset groups pretty fluidly. Mm -hmm. I mean, Buffett will go from merger acquisition to bonds to buying, buying stocks to buying private companies. Very fluid and very agnostic about which one he gets. And to the point that investing is always the same thing. Is Love it. knowing the value and buying it at a discount. That's investing. All right, I'm done. That's it. That's it for today. <laughs> thanks, everybody. Bye. All right, everybody. See you guys. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really hope you enjoyed it.